Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring parapsychological counseling in Germany. My guest is Professor Walter von Lukadu, who is the director of the Parapsychologische Beratungsstelle, or the Parapsychology Counseling Office in Freiburg, Germany. For the last 32 years, this facility has been funded by the state of Baden-Württemberg in Germany, and we just learned recently that, unfortunately, the state has somewhat capriciously dropped its funding, and we'll be discussing that in the program. Walter is the author of three books on parapsychological topics that have been published in the German language. He has his doctorate not only in psychology, but also in physics, and has done some very important theoretical research, which we'll also be discussing. This is an internet interview, and now I will switch over to the internet video. It's good to see you, Walter. I haven't uh, been in touch with you for a while, and I know you had a, it sounded like a rather traumatic experience, suddenly losing all the government uh, support. Yes, because there is, um, in the government, there was one person which uh, just came to this uh, uh, department, and she is hating parapsychology, and he maintains that every person uh, we uh, speak to should go to a psychiatry. So she is, that's really a very evil thing. But uh, I wonder that they could, um, well, that they could do it because I, I wrote several uh, letters to the parliament and they simply say, well, if they decide to do so, then we, we cannot interfere. So, is your institute receiving any other support? Well, I have some sponsors, uh, but this is not sufficient. And now we ask the persons who um, contact us to, uh, to give a donation. And, uh, well, this month uh, it worked out quite fine. I hope that it, works, it will go on. Perhaps if we were to talk about the work of your institute and uh, this video can go out around the world, it might be helpful. Probably, yes. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> well, in the moment, we uh, if you call us, um, then um, the answering machine they says that you have to uh, give a donation and then you can write down your phone number and then I call back. So it works quite fine, but uh, some persons, well, they don't have money or don't access to um, to a bank, so they cannot. I cannot help them. That's the problem. You've been operating this institute for several decades. Yes, for thirty years. It's running since thirty years, and it's rather successful. And uh, many other places where they also uh, try to to do the same. And it's incredible that our government just in this moment just 
closes everything. And well, they they um, maintained that they want to make a kind of reorganization uh, using. Um, uh, well, they are more interested in in cults and religions, but um, the. Uh, the, uh, there had been a development. This was in the beginning, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. There was a problem with cults, but this doesn't exist anymore. So it's it's really uh, stupid to give money to to um, help for persons who are uh, who are in cult because they do not exist. And they said, well, if uh, you uh, are counseling persons who have problems with cults or religious groups, then we will give you money, but this does not happen. And so you see, um, they did, uh, they uh, arranged a condition which I could not accept. And then they said, well, there's no money for parapsychology or such thing anymore because um, we have uh, changed our politics. And this is really stupid. Because uh, we have so many uh, clients, so many persons contacted us, about 3,000 per year, and they say, well, there's nothing to do. <laughs> I gather that the large percentage of people who call you are having poltergeist disturbances. Yes, right. Uh, many persons have uh, poltergeist disturbances and many uh, persons are very worried by having um, uh, precognitive dreams and such things. And uh, well, uh, <laughs> and we can really help them. That's, that's the point. Yes, you, you have a track record and I would imagine it's a question of mobilizing support from the community. I hope that uh, some persons who read it in the newspaper that the the support is uh, has finished that they probably will help us, but it's too early to to well this for two years two weeks now, and I can only say that a uh, lot of persons they pay a donation and then I talk to them and if if it goes on in the same way we can uh, we can save the, the project. Now you yourself for the benefit of our viewers are have credentials both in physics and in psychology. Yes, I think this is necessary because um, well we you can avoid the term per psychology. We simply speak of unusual or exceptional experiences. And sometimes they have to do with physics. Sometimes you can explain it with physics. Sometimes it's more psychological, but very often it's both. So um, take a very simple example. I have a, a, a huge pile of photos where you can see ghosts. And uh, in most cases, not in all, but in most cases, people... Um, Using a camera, and they go, for instance, in 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 a in a room where it's cold, and then they can see uh, shadows and uh, nebulas, and so. And of course, you can project a face in such photos, of course, but they do not know that um, this is a physical effect or another. Uh, we call this relay. Uh, um, 
when well, it's tethering, yes, this is a, because the the short uh, the blue light is scattered much stronger than the red one, uh, the red light, and therefore they see something which they cannot see with their eyes, but the camera can see it. Another problem is uh, are the so-called orbs. You know this, and this is really an uh, um, uh, optical effect. We call it um, Maxwell, um, well, they, they are Maxwell disks. Well, you can understand them, and uh, it's known in physics, but very often it's linked with psychological problems, so you should have both in mind. You cannot simply say this is only physics or this is only psychology. It's, in most cases, it's both. Of course, it's very important to be able to find conventional explanations when they exist. But in the poltergeist cases, for example, it seems as if uh, very often you're getting some sort of psychokinetic effects that cannot be explained away as uh, conventional uh, physics. Yes, of course. I, I have been in flats where uh, it, it looks as if a bomb had exploded, everything was destroyed, and the person said, well, we have not done this, well, well they have a problem, and you cannot simply explain it. So, uh, in, in this case, we have really a, a need of uh, theoretical models to understand uh, the so-called poltergeist cases, or, uh, well, um, what I want to say is, we have uh, developed a model, and I call this not poltergeist, or uh, spook or uh, haunting, but I call this uh, a so-called embodiment disturbance. Embodiment means that any person is always embedded in the surrounding in a very complicated and um, multiple way, uh, both psychological and physical, and all this together forms a self-organizing system. And in, this, in such systems, very strange things can happen. This is the underlying model. And so what I say is um, the embodiment disorder is a kind of externalization of psychological problems which are not aware to the subject. And um, from this point of view, you can really see that this is nothing uh, threatening, but it's helpful because they do not get ill or do not get uh, somatic disorder because they can externalize, so to say, the disturbance. And this, this helps to deal with problems. And But of course, you have to explain it to the person. And it's really astonishing in, in many cases it needs to give this explanation and then it stops. For instance, many of the uh, so-called poltergeist cases or what I call uh, embodiment disorder happens if uh, neighbors have problems with each other. So they fight against each other, they go to the court and what they uh, do and these are long stories and they always uh, claim that the other and the other family uh, uh, makes noises during the night and such things and things are changed and disappear or reappear. And of course, you have to check whether this is um, 
really a poltergeist case. But if you explain it to them, they realize that the problem is not the neighbor, but it's the own an uh, own psychological uh, background, and this is really helpful. And so um, we can say that we are very helpful in in um, helping persons uh, who have quite normal problems with neighbors and such things. Uh, and uh, but it's not known in uh, in the population that. Uh, such cases exist. They simply believe that it's only a mental problem or that the persons are uh, mentally ill or something like this. But this is actually not the case in the, in the embodiment disorder cases. I know you uh, have looked at the ages of uh, the the people who seem to be the source of the uh, recurring spontaneous psychokinesis. Uh, that they're, they're typically between nine and sixteen years of age. Yes, well, this was um, the classical um, case, but we have presented a paper at the last PA conference. Uh, we uh, we have uh, we found that there are quite different types of RSPK cases or of other guide cases or embodiment disorder. And it depends very much uh, on the personality, on the age. And so the classical um, classical guide case with youngsters uh, in the uh, puberty, it's, it's not very often the case now because um, these youngsters do not have the same problems as, uh, say, uh, 30 years ago. And this has changed. So we did uh, statistics and we found that, the, so to say, the poltergeist um, has grown up. <laughs> the, it's mainly persons in the age between uh, 20 and 40 uh, about. They have more problems than youngsters. How interesting. The phenomena changes over time. Yes, of course. And uh, you, you can really see this in the statistics. And also, um, it, the, the behavior is different. So we distinguish between, uh, so to say, uh, for instance, a neurotic RSPK case or a depressive RSPK case. Um, because there are uh, different dispositions which create uh, a poltergeist, and if the person has a tendency to be um, neurotic, neurotic, then of course the, the the phenomena are different, and also the development of the uh, poltergeist is different. And you, you can really see this, and you can also explain it to some extent at least. Do you encounter cases, though, that appear to have some sort of an external agency not related to a, a living human being? Yes, it's a very difficult um, question because um, the process of externalization creates, so to say, a kind of external mental say, being or uh, or. Um, existence or something like this, uh, an entity. And it's very difficult to uh, decide from uh, from scratch whether this is um, something which uh, was, uh, which is the, prim the primary cause or which is 
whether this is created by the situation. And of course, there is the development that sometimes um, RSDK cases are more or less cases of possession, and uh, and then the persons assume that uh, an alien or something like this is causing the problem problems. But um, so to say, the structure of the um, of the phenomena are very similar. So. Um, if you have a case of possession, of course, then you have also RSPK uh, phenomena, but the interpretation is a different one. I see. So you do run into cases of that, that strike you as authentic cases of possession. Yes. Well, we uh, for for the for our clients, we do not make um, a distinction between if they believe it's possession, then we talk about them with them about possession, and if they believe believe that this is a, a, a spirit from uh, beyond, then we talk with them, with them about spirits from beyond because we use the the models they use to describe what's going on, and it's not our task to convince a person's um, of a certain worldview or assumption what's behind the paranormal phenomena. We simply want to take their own resources to help them that they can cope with the problem on the basis on their own ideas and their own pictures they use. Uh, only in those cases where this does not work, because, if, uh, for instance, if you believe that uh, the 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 entity uh, you are possessed of is very uh, cruel or uh, very negative, then of course you have to try to change this. Yeah, be because I gather your your overall view is that this is not a uh, necessarily a harmful phenomenon. It can turn out to be quite positive. Yes, exactly. Um, but sometimes um, um, you cannot simply say this is helpful because um, the interpretation of the person is that they do not accept what is going on. And then, of course, you have first to find out why they cannot accept the phenomena and why they are so um, uh, caring for them. Uh, and this is very important. So. Um, when I say, uh, if, if I say uh, it's a kind of psychosomatic reaction, this is also an interpretation, of course. And um, so, well, in, in practice, you have so many different uh, uh, cases of RSDK as uh, you have different persons. To go back to the government support that you received, I understand it, it's not from the federal government in Germany, it's from the state. Uh, yes. Where you located, uh, from our point of view, the the amazing thing isn't that you lost your funding. The amazing thing is that you ever received uh, state funding uh, for this sort of thing in the first place. I wonder how did that come about? Yes, well, um, this was a development which had to do with the interest of youngsters with occult practices in the. Uh, in the 80s and 90s of the last centuries, and uh, the teachers and the schools, they were very much, um, uh, well, um, 
they didn't didn't know what to do and how to to cope with this phenomenon and of course they were very fearful and i um, started the project uh, because i wanted to talk with the the youngsters about what they are doing and they are very much interested in psychology and they were very um they they liked it very much if I gave some uh, lectures or presentations about parapsychology because then they could understand what they were doing and they uh, were much more uh, so to say uh, skeptical about uh, certain interpretation and this was very successful so we don't have this problem anymore in Germany. And nevertheless, uh, um, the young people still use uh, OUYA boards and, and such things, but they don't have any problems anymore because they know what they are doing. Over the decades, your your research is, and, and your work with people has actually had a, a measurable social impact on the whole culture. Yes, of course. So this, um, from this point of view, it's, it's incredible that they just closed the, the the whole project, even it was so successful. Now, and you also deal with people who are having precognitive dreams. Yes, of course. Uh, I can well imagine if it's a dream of a disaster uh, of some sort, it can be very disturbing to people. Yes, uh, most. Uh, the, the most people who have problems with it, they believe that they are uh, responsible for the disaster or that they are guilty, that they ha had not uh, prevented um, the, the something and that they could not help. And, uh, well, it's necessary to explain to them that they can really, that, that they cannot do this very easily. And we have a kind of service we, if a person has very often such dreams, or um, then they can call us and we record the dream, and then if we have the impression that it's specific enough, um, we say, well, we can contact the police or uh, other um, persons to help them, because if they do this on their, on their own, they, they get problems because the police do, 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 does not believe them. But you have to explain what's going on, and that it's not a that you cannot use it as a proof. And uh, everything well, which is known in parapsychology, you can explain to the police, and this is very helpful. So you you have uh, personal relationships with the police. Yes, and sometimes they even call me because they they have questions. They ask, well, if for instance. Just take a very simple example. Uh, um, if a person has an apparition in um, the home, then they call the police, and of course, the police doesn't know what to do. And then they sometimes they call me, and then I explain. Uh, I explain it to them. Yes, another important thing is that. Uh, well, if <laughs> I put it in a different way. If you would get all the money we save for the um, healthcare system, we would have enough money. That was not the problem because many persons are, um, uh, are sent to psychiatry without any reason because many psychiatrists 
do not know that if that some persons do hear voices without being schizophrenic, that they can see hallucinations or apparitions without being mentally ill and such things. And uh, it's not so difficult to distinguish between uh, mental illness and, and uh, paranormal phenomena. And I always give lectures to psychiatrists. They often invite me, and I have been in many, many psychiatric clinics to explain it to, um, to the doctors. And they, they are very, um, uh, it's very helpful for them because they say, well, we, we know there are many cases where it does not fit with the diagnosis, does not fit with, with what they report. And if, if we would get all the money we save to, to the healthcare system, we, we would have enough. Do, do you find that the police ever uh, ask for help, uh, clairvoyant help, for example, in solving crimes? Is, do you get into that area at all? Yes. Uh, some persons really want to contact the police, and um, this is very difficult because the police um, has a lot to do, <laughs> and they do not like it because uh, if uh, somebody, well, it's ma mainly um, if, uh, for instance, the cop is not found of a, uh, of a murder, and then uh, they, they are looking for it, and some, some persons dream about it and they want to tell the police where where they should uh, look for it. And of course, uh, the police does not like this because it's a lot of work. And in most cases, it doesn't, it's not really helpful because it's not specific enough. And uh, on the other hand, they are uh, forced to do it because uh, if a person goes to the police and say, I know uh, for any reason that um, the, the, the corpse of a, a person is anywhere, they have to look for it. They cannot, uh, they cannot say, well, I, I'm not interested. And, and so they do not like it. But so what we are doing is that we look very carefully whether the, the, the um, impression or the dream or whatsoever, which, uh, which persons have is specific enough uh, to uh, to allow such contact with the police and we explain it to them and uh, sometimes they say it's helpful but of course uh, it's not uh, so to say it's not um, an easy thing you cannot simply use it as um, uh, as a normal uh, a normal process I know in the, the United States there are a handful of uh, skilled clairvoyants who work with police on a on a regular basis. Uh, but I uh, and I know that has been the case in the Netherlands in the past. Yes, of course, that was uh, Gerard Croisset. I, I knew him. Uh, um, he died uh, many years ago, but I knew him personally, and he was really very successful. But of course. Um, he had also some um, typical misses, so he never, uh, he, he could not predict whether his impressions are precisely what he uh, he expected. And you have to explain it to the police because otherwise they simply say, "Well, this is not helpful." 
We ought to touch on some of your theoretical work because I think you've made some important breakthroughs to my way of thinking and in taking a look at the Jungian concept of synchronicity and showing how it uh, relates to uh, the quantum uh, theoretical concept of entanglement and uh, the implications of that for parapsychology. You're really uh, one of the leading theorists in that area. Yes, this is very important because of the, um, the theoretical model we developed here in, in Freiburg. I'm not the only one who did this, but we have um, the generalized quantum theory and the model of pragmatic information, and they both uh, belong together. So it's, it's one theory, so to say. And there are two aspects. One is that you can really use this model in practice, and that's what we are doing. If we, um, uh, for counseling to explain persons what's going on, we use these models, and this is a really very helpful, for instance, in RSPK cases. Um, on the other hand, uh, the theoretical aspect of the generalized quantum theory and model of pragmatic information is different from all the other ideas mainly which were developed in in uh, United States like Walker and so because this is not a reductionistic model so we we do it's a systemic model so we can apply it uh, even uh, in in such cases where we cannot trace down effect down to uh, quantum theory or to the atomic level but we can see structures within the system, for instance, a sociological system or a psychological system, and you can find these structures, which we know from quantum theory, also in other fields. And this is very, this is a new idea behind it. Not uh, that quantum theory is very successful, but um, I always had the problem with uh, Walker theory, for instance, which is a reductionistic one, that you, it's very hard to understand where is the interface, so to say, between the psychological description of the system and the physical one. And of course, there are many, many open questions. And in neurology, we have the same problem that we, we can describe uh, the brain rather well with uh, different techniques, but we cannot see the, the, um, the thoughts or the, the emotion of such things. And if you start with a systemic model, you don't have this problem anymore. That's the uh, advantage of the model. I know, for example, that uh, Carl Jung, uh, when he developed his theory of synchronicity, he gave a lot of credit to J.B. Rhine and the early ESP experiments in inspiring him. But Rhine him, himself was never able to accept the idea that uh, Jung promoted that the phenomenon was a-causal. Uh, but you you uh, understand how a causal uh, phenomenon can operate? Yes. Well, one has to distinguish two types of causality, and uh, to some extent, I I think it was um, uh, a mistake to call the synchronistic events as 
a causal because uh, then you believe there is no reason why they uh, uh, exist. But of course, there is a cause for it, but it's not a, um, a local cause. It's, uh, so to say, the whole system. And uh, we call this a global observable. And uh, for instance, the whole system creates synchronicity. And this is a cause, of course, um, but uh, it's not like um, uh, a sender and a receiver. It's different. It's the whole system which, which creates synchronicity. And uh, in physics, we uh, call this entanglement. And um, so you can say that the model of, uh, of Carl Gustav Jung has been developed further. And now we can understand much better uh, what is the reason that entanglement in the system exists and how it comes across and how to deal with entanglement. But one can see that Carl Gustav Jung already criticized the approach of G.B. Ryan, because G.B. Ryan thought, uh, he, he, uh, he thought that it's a causal effect in the sense that you have a sender and a receiver and a, uh, something between. But we do not find something between. We have only a correlation between two uh, effects. And this is uh, much better explained by uh, entanglement correlations. Uh, you've even gone so far as to propose that parapsychologists can work with this in order to uh, eliminate or at least reduce the decline effect and uh, in the laboratory produce stronger effects. Yes. And this is a very important issue because um, we have developed a technique which we call the matrix, um, the, uh, the matrix method. And the idea is very simple. Um, if you have a system with many different variables, say uh, physical variables and psychological variables, and you have a kind of PK uh, situation where uh, there is a task or a situation where PK um, effects occur, then, of course, you have many psychological variables which you can investigate and also many physical variables. Now, the idea is that you measure not single variables, but a whole set of variables. And then you correlate every variable with every physical variable with every psychological variable. And then you get a kind of matrix. And you can find that there are some correlations that are highly significant. Now, you can count how many such correlations exist. And then, of course, you can find uh, that you get more correlations than you get in a control situation. Okay. So uh, from this point of view, that's not much different than, uh, from a normal PK experiment. But if you have causal interactions, then, of course, you would expect that the different uh, cells within the matrix which show these correlations are always the same if you repeat the experiment. And these were, would be causal interactions. But if these are uh, entanglement interactions, then uh, this is uh, really a necessary condition. Then the cells have to change from one experiment to the other. So they 
so to say, they jump around within the matrix, but the overall correlation is maintained. And from this point of view, you can clearly distinguish between causal processes and entanglement processes. And this is very important because you can apply it to, for instance, in medicine, for instance, in homeopathy or uh, medical uh, treatment, you can find out which parts of the system are causal and which parts are entanglement processes. And uh, I have done a lot of experiments and I found that it's not really useful within parapsychology to um, to cut out all causal effects because causality and entanglement uh, belong together. So the causal effects in nature produce entanglement and the entanglement uh, processes in nature stabilize the causal one. And in parapsychology, we want to get rid of the causal ones because we, we think these are artifacts, but this is stupid because nature, well, does not make this distinction. And I found, and I really found out that if you allow, in principle, causal interactions, then the uh, entanglement correlation assembled, so to say, around the causal interactions. So, and, and I can could really show this in, in uh, the data of the experiment. So, from this point of view, I believe that we have a new approach in parapsychology, not to distinguish, so to say, uh, causal processes and to say these are normal and the entanglement processes which are paranormal, this is stupid. Nature uh, always uses both. And if you allow this, then you get much more information about nature. And this is not only true for uh, parapsychology, but it's also true for psychology. Throw out all the entanglement processes and you get something which is very meager, so to say. For instance, the famous Rosenthal effect, if you look at the meta-analysis, you can see that in the beginning they had a lot of entanglement correlation and then they left this because it was not causal. And well, uh, they still had some effect, uh, but you can apply it in normal psychology. It requires a completely different mindset, it seems to me, to be able to look at uh, both of these simultaneously. Yes, of course. Uh, and this is um, what you can do with this um, uh, matrix method. I, I, I think we should develop this in, in future much more in much more detail. We are just in the beginning. Well, you've really uh, shown an ability to combine very important theoretical and experimental and clinical work all in a relatively small institute, although I gather you, you have other colleagues who are uh, supporting your work and assisting you. Yes. Um, well, I, I, of course, I, I do not do everything alone. But I work together with Harald Wallach and uh, other colleagues. And of course, um, they had these 
matrix experiment had now repeated about uh, 10 different studies and most of them were rather successful. Well, Walter, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, before we go, is, is there anything else that we haven't covered about the work of your institute or things that you would like our viewers to know about uh, what you're doing? No, I think uh, we, we uh, touched all the important uh, issues. Well, I'll do everything I can to uh, help help support your uh, cause, Walter. You're doing very good work, and I think uh, it deserves ongoing funding. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good to talk to you. Mm -hmm.